Welcome to the Metaphorist's Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is Salatu by Lisa Short. Lisa Short is a Texas-born, Kansas-bred writer of fantasy, science fiction, and horror. She has an honorable discharge from the United States Army, a degree in chemical engineering, and 20 years experience as a professional engineer. Lisa currently lives in Maryland with her husband, youngest child, father-in-law, two cats, and a puppy. She is a member of SFWA and HWA. Find her online at lisashortauthor.com or on Twitter at lisa underscore k underscore short. Let's jump in. After two days of the carriage's relentless jolting, Daria felt battered to the point of numbness. She fixed her own eyes on her hands, clenched tightly together on her lap. She still wore her librarian's smock and kirtle, ruched at the neck and laced down the sides, the fabric bunching up under her curled fingers. That lacing seemed to tighten up hourly, and the fleeting handful of stops over the past two days had not included time to bathe or change. She itched now, miserably, and surreptitious squirming did nothing to ease it. Outside the carriage door's single small window, the sparse pine forest that dotted the flat, still winter-brown landscape jolted past, nothing like the rich glory of trees that grew in the foothills of the imperial capital. But this landscape was familiar, drearily so, though Daria had not returned home since her grandfather had won her the appointment to the imperial library five years before. The school had been grueling, the few holidays granted librarial students mostly given to sleeping off the exhaustion of constant work-study. And after graduation, her place in the library had been so new, she hadn't wanted to seem less dedicated, less aspiring, than any of the other newly minted underlibrarians. And, all other variously true excuses aside, she hadn't wanted to go back home. She had missed her grandfather, the measure of her love for him increasing nearly every day she had been away, discovering anew every hour what joy she found in the sheer volume of scholarship and knowledge suddenly available to her in overflowing measure. She had missed him, and would have loved nothing more than to speak to him of her studies, of all the library's books and maps and registries, a love she knew well he shared. But she hadn't missed the rest of her family, and she hadn't missed her home village of Korshun. She certainly hadn't missed the seashore, nor the sea, nor anything living in or on it. And perhaps, if she insisted on it long enough, it might even become the truth. Daria jerked her gaze away from the window and back down to her white-knuckled fists once more. The driver's muffled shout was barely enough warning for Daria to grab for the bar beside her head. The carriage jounced and shuddered to a halt. Seconds later, a guard large and expressionless, pulled the door open and held out his hand to her. She blinked down at it in surprise. He took her hesitation for reluctance and caught her wrist up in one rough hand, pulling her up from the seat and out the door. The other carriage, in spite of its greater size, had beaten them to this chosen campsite. Its outriders already had a bonfire built. The fire dazzled Daria's eyes. She looked away, blinking and her gaze fell upon two men standing some distance back from the fire, deep in conversation. The taller of the two looked up, 
and Daria had a moment of mere cataloging without identification. Silver hair, cut like a soldier's, long thin face, narrow lips. Then those lips turned up at the corners, and the shock of recognition drove the blood from her head in a rush. She hurried forward and dropped into deep curtsy, a prelude to full genuflection, but he shook his head briefly at her as she bent lower still. There's no need for that here, Maya Daria. Was it only the firelight that made the lines carved deeply around his eyes and mouth sharper than they had been just a few days before? My physician, a nod in the other, younger man's direction, insisted we stop for the night. Daria tore her gaze from the emperor's drawn features to his companions, startled to find he was already staring at her, glaring at her. She recoiled involuntarily, a movement she tried hard to disguise as a shiver in the chill night air. The emperor followed her gaze, his mouth compressed in fleeting annoyance. Do be courteous to our guest. If nothing else, she is expanding our knowledge of the natural history of our own lands. I would have thought you'd be pleased by that, at least. Sire, this isn't knowledge. It's mythology. These sea demons... Daria bit back a hiss of protest, clenching her jaw to remain silent. Or whatever they are, if they even exist. Sire, your own reforms, the medical colleges you created in the first years of your reign, a half-century ago, were designed to eliminate the charlantry and, yes, dangerous ignorance of these backwater beliefs. The Salatu aren't myths, said the emperor, mildly though his gaze had narrowed on the young man's half-averted face. The Maya could doubtless show you where in the Imperial Library to find the many historical references, documented evidence of their existence. His annoyance softened into obvious affection. Truly, Aizan, my father had some dealings with these sea people, not demons, in his ocean-going days, before he was designated my great-uncle's heir. So, the young man was Ison, Loro Ison, a fourth or fifth degree relation of the emperor himself, and, she'd heard gossiped more than once, fanatically devoted to him. Then the emperor waved her away, not unkindly. She obediently hurried backwards, once more out of earshot, though judging from Ison's passionate expression, the argument still continued. One of the servants scurrying past thrust a bundle into Daria's arms, Shaking it out, she found herself in possession of a roll of thick quilts. A quick glance around confirmed that several of the guards were clambering awkwardly into their own, not even removing male shirts or boots. The outriders were erecting a tent, for the emperor and likely Loro Aizon, Daria supposed. Well, the air didn't smell like rain was imminent, and anything was better than sleeping sitting up in miserable snatches in the carriage. She shook her bedroll out too, and after some experimentation, managed to squeeze most of herself inside it. The brackish, muggy edge to the breeze carried westward from the still unseen ocean, pricked at her even as exhaustion pulled her down into the oblivion of sleep. The shadows behind her closed eyelids gradually morphed into dreams of the sea, obsidian swells limbed with phosphorescence under a pallid moon.
Daria had been seven years old the summer the Salatu had come to Korshun. She'd been playing near the shore, hot and listless. She had heard them before she'd seen them, a singing like the ocean wind blowing over the shells the Queen Conches left scattered along the shoreline. She'd squinted up at the horizon, seen something dark bobbing upon the waves in the distance, not quite the right shape to be one of the village fishing boats. The singing had grown louder, oddly compelling. Then, between one blink of her eyes and the next, the shadow on the horizon had materialized into a long boat larger even than the village headman's, the biggest in the fleet. A tent had been lashed to its deck. As Daria gaped at it, an enormous woman wearing nothing but a headdress of coral-studded feathers strolled leisurely out onto the bow. Ha! The cry, shockingly close, had startled Daria into stumbling backwards her foot coming down hard on a rock, her ankle twisting painfully. Rough, warm fingers had clamped around her wrist as she fell sideways with a cry of her own. Yanked neatly back onto her feet by those same fingers, Daria had found herself staring up at a stranger's distressed face. That, in of itself, had been an astonishment. No strangers had ever come to Korshun in her short lifetime. This one, perhaps a few years older than Daria, was barefoot and bare-legged her shirt a mere strip of cloth tied around her narrow chest. Are you all right? She'd spoken strangely. Daria had never met anyone for whom Imperial Oon was not their first language, and the musical rippling of the girl's speech fascinated her. Then the girl looked down at Daria's dress, her heavy dark brows drawing so far down they nearly met over her nose. Why are you wearing so many clothes? Are you cold? The girl's name, Daria discovered, was Sayu. Nothing like any name Daria had ever heard, as Sayu herself was nothing like anyone she'd ever met. And the rest of that summer, for the first time in her life, Daria had been grateful for how little attention her family paid her. They cared nothing if she disappeared for hours, as long as she was back in the manor by supper. But can't you swim? Sayu had asked in astonishment, the third morning they'd met at the shore's edge. Babies can swim. Perhaps you've just forgotten how. Assured that was not the case, she'd sputtered, But what have you been doing instead? Not knowing what else to say, Daria had muttered something about liking to read. Read? Sayu's lips had pursed as she'd rolled the word over her tongue. Read? It sounds ugly. Does it hurt? It had been Daria's turn to laugh and then explain, though Sayu's puzzlement hadn't seemed much eased. Oh, well, it sounds lonely. Swimming's far more fun. I'll teach you. She'd looked enormously pleased by the idea. The Salatu had sailed up and down Un's northeastern coast on their own inscrutable business, frequently returning to Korshan for a few days or a week's rest. And whenever Daria sighted their boat, bobbing gently against its beach rock moorings. She ran as fast as she could to the shore, likelier than not to find Sayu already there and waiting for her. But finally, the day after the autumn equinox, Sayu had clasped Daria's hands tightly enough to hurt and had said abruptly, I have to go. Daria hadn't protested, but she hadn't been able to stop the tears that had welled up either. She'd opened her mouth, meaning to say something stoic and brave, and had sobbed aloud instead.
Sayu had pulled her close, resting her cheek against the top of Daria's head, and they had stood like that until her sobs had ceased. But we'll be back, Sayu had said, her voice muffled against Daria's hair. Next summer, I promise. Daria awoke to something poking her shoulder. She pried her eyes open, squinting in the dull gray light of dawn to the unwelcome sight of a guard crouching over her. We're leaving, he said flatly, and withdrew as soon as it was clear she'd understood him. The sparse scatter of trees outside were thickening, the ragged evergreens now interspersed with fatter, paler trunks, lightly dusted with the first leaves of early spring. Home. Grandfather. She had treasured, still treasured, his handful of letters to her over the years, his obvious pride in her accomplishments in the imperial capital. She flinched a little at the thought of those letters, abandoned and unsecured in her small clothes press in the underlibrarian's dormitory. Losing them would be a blow. Hopefully nobody would find them interesting enough to steal. The winter after the Salatu first sailed away, Daria had crept into the manor library determined to assuage her now unbearable loneliness by finding out more about the Salatu themselves. Her grandfather had happened upon her there one evening, her nose buried deep in an encyclopedia. She'd been too young to understand then how the rest of the family had feared his scholarly and acerbic wit. To eight-year-old Daria, he'd been no more fearsome than any other member of the household, all seemingly alike in their disdain for her existence. She understood far better now, his awkward and stilted enthusiasm at the sight of anybody other than himself voluntarily opening a book. She'd told him willingly enough about her curiosity about the Salatu, and had shown him what little she'd found about them in the library. But I'm sure they aren't sea demons, grandfather. Indeed not. Her grandfather had agreed with some indignation, and bent down over the open encyclopedia far enough that his nose nearly touched the pages. Let me see that. Hmm. He straightened back up, flipping the pages rapidly backwards until he reached the very front. I should have known. Sornois wrote this. Incompetent and a coward. Daria had blinked up at him warily. He hadn't appeared angry at her, at least, though she had no idea who Sornois was. Likely he was writing it to pacify the then emperor. This edition is over a century old. Her grandfather abruptly clapped the book shut, causing a small geyser of dust to erupt from its binding, then gazed narrowly down at Daria. I'm delighted to see that you aren't credulous enough to believe everything you read. He paused. And that you chose to try to find the answer to a question about the natural world in a book. He'd seemed to be waiting for a reply, so Daria had gathered up her courage and ventured, I, I do like books, grandfather, but... She did her best to ignore the beginnings of the lowering frown on his brow, because she really did want to know. How do you know which books to believe and which not? If you want to know something... His eyebrows lifted, erasing the frown lines as if by magic. Daria who had been quailing inside. Questions were generally not encouraged, 
at least not her questions and not those put to an adult of the household, was heartened by the sudden gleam of warmth in his dark eyes. Now, that is a question of worth, granddaughter. She startled a little. It was almost as if he'd seen what she was thinking. And it's a very important one. Come, let me show you something. He had gone on to show Daria a great many things. Not only the marvelous stories hidden in his books, but the science of the books themselves. How they came to be written, how to understand the meaning beneath the obvious words, how to search for additional books to verify, or refute, the contents of any other. Her grandfather's library, it had turned out, was as full of joyous surprises as the summer had been with Sayu. Daria's first sight of the village outskirts now, through the carriage window, made her stomach clench tight. Even the meanest shack had at least one guard stationed at its door. Unable to help herself, she glanced up at the manor house looming silently atop its hill. Guards manned both front doors, and likely were standing at the postern gate as well. Her gaze darted to the grounds. Yes, she could still see the faint, blackened remains of the old still room. Her grandfather had refused to rebuild it there, had insisted on moving the new still room to its own building, completely out of sight of the manor. She had heard him shouting at her mother one night as she lay sleepless in her bed, racked with the pain of her burns. Her grandfather, who had never before raised his voice in her hearing. But there was no reason to suppose that all the manor's inhabitants weren't perfectly all right. She understood why the emperor would want to keep his presence, and especially his purpose, an absolute secret. The fact that he was taking such pains to keep everyone ignorant of what might be happening outside their homes was evidence enough that he intended them no harm in the long run. Once again, the emperor's carriage had outpaced hers. After they'd jolted to a halt, the stone-faced guard from the day before escorted her straight to the emperor's tent. Once inside, Daria curtsied, darting lightning-fast glances at the emperor's face to gauge whether he wanted her to skip full genuflection once more. It was still rather unreal to be standing nearly within touching distance of him, close enough that the scent of his cologne tickled her nose to see the shadows like bruises etched deep beneath those ostensibly friendly eyes. So, Maya, how do we contact the Salatu? Daria took a deep, fortifying breath. We don't. Not from the shore. She had tried to explain that before, back at the palace. They came themselves, in the summer, in their own boats. We never summoned them. The warmth in his eyes dimmed. Then how do you propose to bring them here? Daria's frantic, scurrying thoughts during the first sleepless nights in the carriage had finally settled on a possibility. There is a place I used to go with, she took another deep breath, one of them sometimes, a few leagues out to sea, when we were children. And a bit older, too, but there was really no need to elaborate on that. I can swim out to it. It's in their territory. They may realize someone is there, even if they aren't sure who it is. They're likely to investigate. Eventually. Well, it was the best idea she'd been able to come up with. Swim out to it? By yourself? The emperor's face had gone very still. His lips barely moved as he spoke. Why don't we take the village boats to it? All of us. Daria flinched. 
it's underwater. A fair bit underwater. Even if any of your guards or servants or yourself or Laurel Izon are unusually strong swimmers, you probably wouldn't be able to follow me there. It was hard to force out the next words. I have some ability to swim the way the Salatu do. Her fists clenched, hidden deep in her skirts. I did tell you, sire, that you might not want the healing. It doesn't leave you unchanged from what you were before. The emperor's dark blue gaze shifted from her face to a point beyond her right shoulder. Aizan, the Maya says she must swim out to sea, underwater and alone. He smiled thinly. His smile at her the night before had indeed held genuine warmth, because by contrast, this one held none at all. I recall that you did some sailing as a boy, with your father. Why don't you take her out that few leagues, so she doesn't dangerously tire herself reaching this meeting place? Certainly, sire, came Laurel Ison's voice behind her. She hadn't even heard him enter the tent. She curtsied deeply once more, and followed Ison back outside. Ison had commandeered someone's yole. He handled it, and its simple square sail, well enough, which was a little surprising. The yoles were unique to the northeast Un, she'd learned during her first year in the palace library. Had his father hailed from here? Tell me when we're far enough out. Izon's voice was rough, startled out of her thoughts. Daria's head jerked up. His face was averted, but a muscle jumped in his jaw. Clearly, he wanted nothing more than to shove her overboard, preferably bound hand and foot. Are you even listening to me? He snapped, still staring determinedly away from her. That almost surprised a nervous giggle out of her. And what terrible timing that would have been. He probably would shove her overboard if she laughed in his face. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, we're out far enough. Izon lashed the sail down firmly, locked the yole's single wide oar into its ring, then turned around to look her full in the face. Who paid you? The words made so little sense that for a moment she almost thought he wasn't speaking to her at all. But they were quite alone in the tiny yole, the calm sea stretching out for leagues in all directions, save for the now distant shore. What? Who paid you to carry this tale to the emperor? Two spots of color burned high on his cheekbones. He was fairer than the emperor, than Daria herself, fair enough for his temper to show through his skin. Was it one of his daughter's husbands, or a great-nephew? You should know they have no care for the tools they use. They're far more likely to discard them than reward them, once their purpose is served. If this is as ridiculous a story as I think it is, I recommend you drown yourself down there before coming back to shore empty-handed. And if you don't come back, don't doubt I will look for your body. And if I don't find it, you'd best not show your face anywhere in the Empire. I will find you. Speechless, Daria stared back at him. There was nothing more she could say in the face of such seething hostility. It didn't matter that she herself hadn't been the one to carry the tale of the Salatu's healings to the emperor. She'd even downplayed every aspect of it that had reached the emperor's ears, as far as she had dared without causing offense to him, who had been so desperately delighted to hear it all. Daria inhaled deeply. Aizan shifted back, shoulders stiffening, 
but she only exhaled hard, then inhaled again, then a third time. His eyes widened, as blue as the emperor's, the rich, deep color of her summer sky and evening. Those eyes were the last thing she saw as she squeezed her own tight shut and thrust herself off the side of the yole and down into the dark waters. The shock of the frigid water was painful, and the rushing roar of bubbles around the deep impact of her body deafened her. She sank quickly, the weight of her now-soaked smock and kirtle, underlinen and boots dragging her down far faster than she could have swum alone. She began to struggle out of her clothes, shoving the sodden handfuls down and away as fast as she could. With nothing but her boots left in her hands, her descent slowed to almost nothing. She was deep enough that the daylight world above had shifted into an eerie dimness. She could just make out the bottom of the yole far above her head, barely the size of the pad of her thumb. She tilted her head down to look at the pale brown of her arms and legs that were slowly acquiring a smooth, reflective sheen. Her braids waved gently as she drifted in the twilight haze, the weight of the water an implacable cocoon around her. But she couldn't stay there forever, as weirdly comforting as it was, the tightness in her chest, the need for fresh air, was growing more urgent. She closed her eyes again and focused on the nearly imperceptible shift of tide and temperature rolling over her, as Sayu had taught her to do all those years ago. Yes, there was the current that led to the caverns honeycombing the beach rock scattered across Korshun's inlet. Daria quickly discovered she was no longer as hardy and limber as she'd been as a girl. Her muscles, all of them, were burning after a mere ten minutes of steady swimming, and the starved sensation in her lungs had become torture. She whipped her head around, back and forth, searching with eyes that saw more and more clearly the longer she remained submerged. There, that deep wall of shadow just ahead. Daria dove deep, swimming hard, and reached the familiar, seemingly unbroken mass of rock below the shelf just as she thought her lungs were going to burst. She scrabbled at it, awkwardly pulling herself up hand over hand until her fingers abruptly broke through into empty air, then frantically paddled the last few feet up. With a desperate surge of strength, she flung herself up over the shelf, head and shoulders finally breaking the surface of the water. The stone was icy against her bare flesh, gouging into her as she wrenched the rest of her torso atop it, dragging her shaking legs up after her. She rolled over onto her back. For a long, terrible moment, it was as if she'd forgotten how to breathe. But then her lungs spasmed convulsively, and she sucked in a deep lungful of air. The damp rock walls rising up around her sparkled in the phosphorescent glow of the moss that coated the cavern stone ceiling. Or perhaps it was only in her own eyes. Her vision was dimming as the shakes that racked her body grew more violent, then abruptly faded to black along with all conscious thought. Daria regained consciousness slowly, drawn by a pervasive feeling of warmth. She opened her eyes to a softer, yellower light than the soulless green glow of the sea moss. Someone had built a small fire near the edge of the shelf she'd so laboriously pulled herself upon. Her vision blurred, cleared, then blurred again. She rubbed her eyes, wincing at the bite of salt. Her head throbbed sharply as she levered herself up onto one elbow. A shadow blocked the firelight. She flinched back, then stilled, 
eyes opening wide at the sight of a face she hadn't expected to see again in her lifetime. Though she wasn't sure why she hadn't thought Kel might be the one to come, perhaps she hadn't really believed anyone would come at all. Thank you, she said, then spat to clear her mouth. For the fire. You're welcome. His accent was heavier than Sayu's had been, though of course Sayu had every summer for nine years to practice her imperial un with Daria, and Kel had only had the one. He settled back against the stone wall behind him, his eyes fixing on a point past her head. Daria found herself unable to tear her gaze from his face and entirely missed the next thing he said. I'm sorry, what? I said, I thought you'd resolved never to return. He was looking at her once more. She thought, though she'd never been good at reading him, that he might be wary of her in spite of the sardonic edge to his voice. Daria swallowed against her tight throat. I need to speak to the Ali, if that's possible. She swallowed again and forced herself to meet his eyes. The Emperor of all Un desires it. He grew very still. The firelight reflecting from the few wet drops remaining on his bare shoulders shone like jewels, unmoved even by a breath. Well, he said after a long pause, the Ali it is then. He began to rise to his feet. Wait, is... who is the Ali now? He stopped, then lowered himself back down beside her, legs crossed. Something about the question had pleased him, or reassured him. Daria couldn't fathom why, and her head had started to ache again, enough to blur her thoughts. She closed her eyes, and didn't even start when she felt a feather-light touch on her matted braids. Rest, she heard him say. You're still tired. You've been too long away from the sea. When you wake up, will be soon enough for the Ali. She obediently laid her head back down. The rock floor didn't seem so unforgivingly hard now. She found his touch inexplicably soothing, and that was very different than it had been. Once, his touch had unnerved her, then excited her, then finally driven her to a kind of despair when she had finally accepted that he could never be just hers, only hers but it had never before soothed her. Exhaustion, or simply the slow march of time across the years, and leagues of hard, dry land that had separated her from him. She didn't know, and was too weary now to care. Kel. Kel had come ashore with Sayu the year Daria turned sixteen. She'd had more trouble slipping out of the house to meet the Salatu on the beach that summer than ever before. Her grandfather, as obviously fond as he'd grown of her, never troubled himself about what she did when she wasn't directly before his eyes. But her mother had finally remembered that she had a daughter on the cusp of womanhood. Endless lessons in the kitchen, the buttery, the still room. She'd been left little time for grandfather and the manor library that spring. And she'd been determined that her summer with Sayu wouldn't suffer the same fate. But Sayu hadn't been alone. That first morning, Daria managed to escape the manor. That stopped her in her tracks, on the very edge of the shoreline, because Sayu had never brought anybody else along before. And it was a boy. A few years older than she was, she thought. Closer to Sayu's age. But why? 
Sayu looked uncharacteristically disgruntled. After their usual embrace of greeting, she'd stepped back, scowling over her shoulder at the newcomer. And this is Kel, who didn't believe I had an imperial friend, and who was finally brave enough to come with us on the summer journey. Only temporarily, the boy said. He seemed unfazed by Sayu's mild hostility. Just to see the far lands, and the foreign creatures. He'd grinned unrepentantly down at Daria, then neatly dodged Sayu's shove. They're not creatures. Well, I admit, she doesn't look like a creature. In spite of her odd attire, she looks as if she could... He hadn't dodged quickly enough a second time and ended up sprawled on the ground, laughing up at them both. He hadn't come ashore every day with Sayu, but he had more often than not. He'd been openly delighted with everything on land. The beach, the forest, the village, and Daria, it seemed. He'd never done anything inappropriate, never touched her in any unseemly way. But still, he had touched her. Light, fleeting strokes of her face and bare arms, shocking her into stillness each time, to his obvious amusement and her deep embarrassment. Sayu had grown more and more irritable that summer. Finally, it had occurred to Daria what the reason might be. She'd stuttered and stammered over asking it. Is it... Do you like him, Sayu? Like him? Sayu had said distractedly. I suppose... He's well enough. Oh. After a second or two of astonishment, she'd burst out laughing. Daria smiled back, relieved, but also puzzled as to what was so funny. Then Sayu sobered abruptly. No, but he likes you. Daria's face had heated. Yes, he does, and it can't be anything, and I'd wish he'd leave you alone. Daria, our men, they're not like yours. Your people. There's a man, and he marries a woman, and that's it, isn't it? Well, said Daria, who had read most of her grandfather's books by then, that isn't how it always goes. It isn't like that at all for us. Ever. Kel, he has his Hawali. Her lips had flattened in frustration. There isn't even a word in your language for it. Not brothers, not lovers, but... Yes, that too. Lovers. Sometimes one of them does attach himself to a particular woman. But the rest of the Hawali won't accept what they can't share in. Not for long. You don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? I do, though, Daria retorted indignantly. But she hadn't. Not really. And then the rest of that summer, and its dreadful, fiery end. Her dozing thoughts skipped quickly over the worst of those memories, followed by a fever dream of a gently rocking boat and Sayu's voice in her ear, promising the Salatu would make her well, could make her well again, except that it hadn't been a dream at all, as she had realized upon her first awakening, all those years ago, on the distant beach of the Salatu's true home. It had been night, the sky an enormous black bowl arching overhead. She had levered herself up on her elbows, awestruck. She had never seen the sky so unbroken by anything but the endless expanse of dark, rippling waves below it. The ground beneath her bare arms had been soft as powder, 
gleaming palely in the starlight. It was sand, but not the rough golden brown of Corshan's shore. It was as light and fragile as winter snow. The breeze had caressed her face, her bare belly and legs, deliciously warm. She had started to sit up, suffused by a sense of well-being so overwhelming that she nearly laughed aloud from the joy of it. Then she'd stilled as a dark silhouette rose from the surf lapping gently against the shore, shaking a silver-black spray of water from his long, fair braids. Kel. She'd looked down at herself again, in sudden terror. But the burns were gone. Her skin as smooth and clear as a baby's. The pain was gone. The relief of it rolled over her in a wave of pleasure, an almost physical caress. And when she looked up again, she found Kel had stepped ashore and was gazing back at her, for once without a smile. She'd shifted her weight to begin to stand, delighting in the effortless movement of her body, and then had stopped in startlement as a familiar hand had clasped hers. Wait, Sayu had whispered into her ear. Had she been there all along? But I feel newborn, Daria thought. I feel like I could do anything anything I wanted now. Our people are very different. Sayu's grip had tightened. And yes, you're different now too, but not inside, not in here. And her fingers had lightly brushed Daria's temple. Daria started awake. The Salatu's beach was gone, replaced by the damp, ugly cavern walls, though it wasn't Kel beside her now. A woman bent over her instead, Thick black hair cropped short, cropped for the Ali's headdress, though she was bareheaded now. Eyes as black as her hair gazed down steadily at Daria, expressionless in the flickering light, set in a face with starker bones than Daria remembered. Then the woman smiled ruefully as she was Sayu again, the Sayu that Daria had run to all her life, until the day she'd run away from her instead. Daria closed her eyes against the sudden rush of tears. So you've returned, she heard Sayu say, and it was Sayu's voice, half forgotten but now so familiar in lilt and tone that she could hardly believe she hadn't remembered every nuance of it. Daria forced her eyes open, blinking hard to clear the unwanted tears away. That's what Kel said, more or less. She was at too much of a disadvantage, lying curled up on her side. She struggled upright, trying not to grit her teeth too obviously at the shrieking protest of every muscle. Why? Just like Sayu to cut straight to the point, Daria decided to return the favor. The emperor wants to meet you, she said, and lifted her gaze up to meet Sayu's once more, and surprised a fleeting look of shock lifting her heavy dark brows. He's ill. As little as the emperor wanted that fact bandied about, there was certainly no reason to not say it now, here, with Sayu. So? I'm sure the emperor of Al-Un has a dozen physicians, or perhaps a hundred. What has that to do with us? Sayu was fully back in control of herself now, the gleam in her eyes only ironic. What has that to do with you? He's dying, said Daria starkly. It was harder to say aloud than she had realized it would be. It was nothing anyone had said openly in her hearing, and in fact would never have dared, 
not if they had wanted to go on living themselves. I don't know of what. I don't even know if it's something you could heal him of. It isn't just old age. He is old, of course, which also might pose some difficulty. Sayu waved that away, gaze intent. And so you approached your emperor with a fantastic tale of my people and our great and terrible magic. No. Daria jerked her face away and stared at the pitted, muddied wall behind the Sayu's head. The light of moss was washed out by the firelight, rendered dull and ugly in the sputtering flames. I wouldn't have told him. It would never have occurred to me to tell him. I barely even knew he was ill, much less anything else. Hardly anyone does. She sucked in a deep, shuddering breath. I got drunk one night a few months ago. It was impossible to explain why. She hardly knew it herself. She had never taken too much wine before in her life. She'd been restless, perhaps. More and more restless. Her librarial studies had satisfied some part of her, the part she had always thought of as the most important part. She had been unused to having time on her hands, as she sometimes found herself having since graduation. There was someone, someone I was interested in. I doubt he'd had any real interest in me, of course, at least before that night. We were all drinking together, and somehow he and I ended up in a corner alone, and I told him not the entire story, or even much of any story at all. She trailed off, barely able to speak for shame. Of course I know why he seemed so fascinated now. He was the son of a high-ranking imperial courtier. He must have known something, overheard something of the emperor's illness, and how all conventional treatments seemed useless. Any chance of a cure must have seemed worth the chase to him, and after all, what did he have to lose by it? So, he began to pursue me. Lightly, casually, yet with enough of an appearance of real engagement behind it, that she had fallen for it, like the most unutterable fool. He managed to pry rather more details out of me after that, and then he went to the emperor. The silence that followed was quite miserable, at least for Daria. I see, she heard Sayu say, finally, but she heard no anger in that voice. Startled, she met Sayu's gaze once more. Well, it wouldn't be an entirely bad thing to have Imperial Un in our debt. Sayu's lips were faintly curved. Perhaps I should thank you. Daria's own lips parted. Her what? Had no breath behind it but Sayu understood it well enough. Let's also say I think I owe you this. For if your emperor's not healed, it won't go well for you, will it? She read the answer in Daria's expression. So. Sayu rose with effortless grace from her crouch, strong, slim hand locking around Daria's wrist and pulling her up to her feet as well, steadying her so she swayed a bit. My mother warned me not to fool around with the Empire all those years ago, you know. I defied her. For you. I let Kel indulge himself with you. You tried to warn me. Not warn her that Kel would never love her, no. But that no man of the Salatu could ever love only one woman. Could ever love anyone, alone, without his Hohali. 
and she hadn't understood anything until it was too late. Not hard enough, because I did want you to stay with us. She squeezed Daria's wrist lightly before letting go. Come on, let's see what we can do to salvage this. Daria wondered what they thought, the Emperor and all his men, when they spied the Salatu fleet on the horizon. She didn't know, because she kept her head firmly down and her eyes on the slick, dark wood between her bare feet, gripping the edge of the lead boat with white knuckles. No single trading boat, this. The Salatu had come in force, a small force compared to the full military might of the Empire, but still carrying a good three times more Salatu than the Emperor's entire camp of followers. Daria finally dared to peek upward, as the handful of Salatu, who had jumped easily overboard, ran the lead boat to ground. The Emperor and Loro Izon stood surrounded by the guards and outriders, their finery strangely artificial-looking under the bright, featureless glare of the overcast sky. Sayu had donned the Ali's fantastic headdress of coral and feathers, and a woven cloth shift that fell halfway to her knees to appease imperial sensibilities. She graciously accepted the helping hands of her crew as she stepped down onto the beach. Daria felt clumsy as a bear clambering down behind her. Certainly now was the time for full and formal prostration. The tension emanating from the Emperor's guards was nearly palpable. Daria pushed her way forward and edged around Sayu, who stood proudly in front of the phalanx of Salatu. The sand was icy, a thousand tiny sharp knives cutting first into her knees, then into her thighs, belly, and chin. She'd had to borrow one of the same thin shifts Sayu now wore, leaving far too much of her skin miserably bare to the elements. Sire, Daria said into the sand, muffled but determined. As you've ordered, so I've done. The Salatu Ali Sayu stands before you. Sayu had been quite explicit in her refusal to prostrate herself before Imperial Un. A long, thick pause then. Rise, please, Maya. The Emperor's voice was noticeably hoarser than it had been before. Surprise, or yet another turn for the worse of his health? Daria pushed herself to her feet and fixed her gaze on the Emperor, who thankfully had no attention left to spare for her. The deep mahogany of his flesh had an oddly chalky cast to it, only emphasized by the bejeweled glory of his court dress. The sleeves of his ornate robes trembled. Fingers bit into her arm, nearly startling a shriek out of her. Izon was staring down at her with slitted eyes, his mouth barely more than a line bisecting his rigid face. She jerked her head away, though she didn't quite dare do the same with her arm and fixed her attention back on Sayu and the Emperor. Must take place upon our boat, Sayu was saying. Though better if he came back with us altogether, and stayed for at least the season just as you did, she had said to Daria with unusual seriousness during their boat ride back to the Emperor's camp. But I think he won't, you agree? Which had also meant that Sayu wouldn't be able to sing him back to health alone as she had done for Daria not so far from the Salatu's home, not in the sort of time frame the Emperor would certainly expect. Hence the boats, plural, of the Salatu, in numbers likely never seen before within the boundaries of Imperial waters. But aside from a brief hesitation, 
the emperor seemed unfazed by this comparatively mild demand. You'll leave your young friend here with my men, he said, with the briefest glance at Daria. Ison's grip tightened brutally on her arm, and Daria clenched her teeth together. Of course, said Sayu serenely. She offered her hand and the emperor took it, managing to do so in such a way that almost seemed caressing. Daria didn't think she imagined the appreciation in Sayu's smile. But Sayu's heavy arched brows quirked upward, shifting her smile from pleased to pained all at once. She mustn't come to any harm while we're away. And she will not, said the emperor. My word on it. He cast another lightning-sharp look back at them. At Aizan this time, Daria realized. She had thought Aizan couldn't possibly look more upset than he already did, but she'd been wrong. Her arm throbbed painfully under the vice-like clamp of his fingers. Daria supposed that degree of harm didn't count. The emperor followed the solitude to their dinghy. Minutes later, they'd reached the Ali's vessel. Three of the Salatu assisted the emperor up its rope ladder with quick, light touches and bowed heads. Then he ducked under the low-hanging edge of the Ali's shelter and abruptly vanished from sight. Aizan made the faintest of muffled sounds. Daria glanced up at his face, but he'd already turned away and an instant later was hauling her back to the emperor's tent. As soon as they reached the half-opened flaps, he thrust her inside, then wheeled around and stalked away, leaving her alone. Well, not entirely alone. Two of the emperor's personal servants stared round-eyed at her as she stumbled inside. Sand cascaded from her bare legs and feet onto the rich, jewel-toned carpets lining the tent's floor. One of the servant's stairs followed it down, then back up, past her short, plain skirt to her hair, completely unrestrained and curling wildly over her shoulders and arms from wind and salt water. Daria turned her back on them and stalked across the tent to the pile of cushions in the farthest corner from the door. Sleep would have been good for her, but it would not come. Even as the light streaming in through the tent flaps gradually faded and the breeze drifting inside the tent took on a cool, bitter edge. As the tent's interior grew darker, one of the servants lit a lantern. Just as it flared to life, Aizan pushed his way into the tent. Out, he said flatly to the servants, who fled without so much as a murmur of protest. Daria recoiled as he strode across the tent and crouched down in front of her, close enough to touch. If the emperor doesn't come back out of that boat at dawn, entirely in one piece, and at least as healthy as he was when he first stepped aboard it, you won't die quickly. Daria was genuinely afraid of the emperor, whose power over her very life was both whimsical and absolute. She had been genuinely afraid that the Salatu wouldn't come to her in the cavern, but she couldn't fear any such impossible scenario as Aizan was clearly imagining though at least the reality of their existence had clearly freed him of any conviction he'd had before that she was the agent of some ambitious imperial relation. He will, Daria said, spurred into unwilling sympathy for his obvious misery. Why would they hurt him? What could they possibly gain? The might of the Empire would grind them to pieces if they ever dared show their faces anywhere along the coast of Un ever again. You... And they are using him, 
using a great man's fear of the only enemy he can't defeat by his strength of will alone. The injustice of that was the final straw. Daria's temper, usually mild, had been sorely tried by the events of the past week, and it abruptly snapped. She surged to her feet, kicking the muffling cushions aside, and glared at him. Oh yes, they're using him. That was their plan all along, when they encamped themselves outside his throne room and forced their way into his presence. You were a far more effective messenger. I wasn't any kind of messenger at all. I never wanted to tell his imperial majesty anything. I had never so much as spoken to him before. And that's what made it all the more effective, Izon ground out. A whisper, a rumor to amuse him, about some girl nobody knew anything about. Carried by a son of the chancellor himself. Daria couldn't help her flinch, or the heat that flooded her face. Though if anything, it made her even more furious. Yes, I was a fool to say anything to anyone. You can't possibly despise me for that more than I do myself. That part of her that Kel had so thoroughly awakened all those years ago, somehow escaping the iron control she'd kept it under ever since. You can't think that this is what I wanted to come of it. The harm this journey alone has caused him. Then perhaps you should have done a better job of healing him yourself, physician she snapped. Then he wouldn't have been tempted to resort to this, this charlantry, in the first place. Izon took a single step toward her, his fists clenched, one rising, but Daria was in no mood to indulge him now. The Emperor's word, she hissed, and he recoiled as if she'd struck him instead of nearly the other way around. His fist dropped back to his sides in anger, and perhaps shame, reddened his cheeks, leaving the skin around his mouth white. Whatever lies you told him to convince him of this folly, I only ever told him the truth. Perhaps he is a great man, far greater than you, and knows it when he hears it. A sob, harsh and ugly, tore itself out of her throat. She'd started to cry and hadn't even realized it. I can't prove the healing. They did far too good a job of that. But I can prove to you the price of it. You'll need to know anyway, as the Emperor's physician. Her voice dripped scorn. Take hold of me, and pinch my nose shut and cover my mouth. He was taken aback enough by this that his flush faded a little, his hands loosening at his sides. What? You heard me. He stared blankly at her. Do it, you coward! That was enough to spur him. Daria barely had time for one deep breath before he gripped her shoulders roughly, then whirled her around and slammed her back against his chest. His fingers clamped down over her nose and mouth, as unyielding as steel bands. Her lungs spasmed as the shock of impact tried to force a gasp out of her, and for a long, panicked second, she thought that perhaps she couldn't do it after all, here on dry land. The change had been easy and painless after she jumped from the yole. Her body, cradled in the deep, implacable grip of the sea, had simply responded to its natural element. But now... Her lungs spasmed again, then abruptly settled. She relaxed back against Izon, 
her pulse slowly subsiding in her own ears as her vision began to blur. The seconds ticked past, then a minute, two minutes. Her skin grew slick as oil against his hands, wrenching a revolted grunt from him, but his grip didn't loosen. Three minutes. Four minutes. Five. Six. By then, even with her lack of physical exertion, she could feel the first faint burn of starvation in her lungs. Then he released her. She turned slowly around to face him, gazing up at him with eyes she knew looked utterly inhuman, unbroken ovals of shining pearl like a queen conscious inner shell. Aizan took two careful steps away, his own eyes wide and unblinking on her face. She looked back at him for several seconds, still utterly unbreathing, then gently, deliberately inhaled. You see, she said. Shouts outside the tent awoke her. Daria struggled up from the deep carpets, raking the salt-dried mess of her hair out of her face to squint at the tent flaps. Still closed, but the light of dawn was creeping in through the gaps in the lacing. A quick glance around the tent confirmed that she was alone. She pushed herself creakily upright. Every muscle in her body had stiffened during the night and now screamed in protest. The shouts had ceased, the silence outside the tent now ominous. She staggered over to the flaps and fumbled them open. The glittering gold reflection of the sun on the ocean briefly blinded her, then resolved into two forms stepping onto shore. A tall, thin man, his hair blazing silver in the sunlight, and a woman, nearly as tall as he, long-limbed and graceful, the coiling ends of her headdress whipping around them both in the chill morning wind. A flurry of movement in Daria's periphery resolved into Aizan, running forward and stopping abruptly several feet away from the emperor, who had raised his hand palm out to halt the headlong rush. I'm well, said the emperor. His voice was strong, resonant. The same vibrance that newly infused his voice had infused his face as well. He might have been a man in his fifties, not his seventies. Aizan. The last word was strangely tender. The rising sun shone mercilessly down on Aizan's face, now wet with tears. Let me examine you, sire, said Aizan. Please. The emperor smiled faintly. Of course. He released Sayu's hand. Sayu was looking at him with an expression Daria found very difficult to read, because she could not believe it. The emperor and Aizan headed for the tent. Daria hurried forward, noting the abortive moves of a few guards towards her, but a dozen Salatu suddenly emerged from the surf to plant themselves directly behind their Ali, and the guards backed away. An interesting man, your emperor, said Sayu, her expression a shade too solemn as she gazed down at Daria's face. Very interesting. Her dark eyes crinkled up at the corners. Apparently, Daria hadn't misread her expression at all. How could you? She said, very faintly, and then, to her complete surprise, choked on a giggle. He, you, he's old, you know. A very father wisdom, Sayu agreed serenely. Just like the imperial tales you used to tell me. 
Then Sayu held out her arms, and Daria fell into them. I've missed you, Daria said, struck nearly insensible by the truth and strength of it. Her voice muffled against Sayu's shoulder. And I've missed you. Sayu's voice was very soft. I didn't know how much I would, until I knew you were gone for good. I didn't know if you'd come. Always, said Sayu. I'll always come. She paused. If you're where I can even reach you. Daria, perhaps you ought to stay with us, this time? I understand why you're asking, Daria said slowly. And I can't promise that I won't have trouble now going forward. Her mouth twisted. Perhaps I'll become a favorite of the court. Or perhaps you'll end up dead. Sayu's lips flattened. Consider. No, said Daria. I can't. That Kel, Sayu muttered. I told him. Kel hadn't returned to the Emperor's camp with her and Sayu. She'd been glad and sorry, hurt and relieved, and supposed dismally that she'd never truly get over him. But it isn't just what happened with Kel. The Imperial Library. She thought of it now, dry and warm with its hundreds of shelves of books, paper and ink, the infinite well of knowledge and discovery contained within its depths. Of her grandfather, his arms around her, holding her burnt and seeping body as if it were fragile as glass, carrying her to the Salatu's boat in the dead of night so the rest of the family wouldn't try to stop him. I can't. Too much of me is here. Her chin jerked involuntarily over her shoulder, past the tents, towards the manor house looming silently on its hill. In the Empire. I can't leave that. Not for good. Not forever. Daria took a deep breath. But I was stupid to try to do the same with you. To leave you. Leave the Salatu forever. Leave myself. What I became. As much as anything else, that's why I ended up being dragged back here. And then dragging you into this. This imperial mess. Now that, said Sayu, dark eyes alight, is... What is the word? Irreverent? Or no, you don't actually worship your emperor. Your dives into the sand at his feet notwithstanding. She sobered abruptly, keen gaze searching Daria's. But I do hope that means what it sounds like. One corner of Sayu's mouth curved up. Because I may have suggested to him that he should return here himself, every year or so, just for a brief visit just to monitor his continued health, and that he should also, perhaps, bring someone along, someone familiar with my people, when he does so. Daria's lips parted, but no sound emerged. Could it be that easy? Could she return, every year, with imperial favor, even approval? She thought of Izon and shivered involuntarily, she didn't think he at least would let everything go. Let bygones be bygones. But he would never oppose the Emperor's will. She was sure of that. Sayu nodded once, sharply, then gave Daria's shoulders a final squeeze before she released her. 
Daria stepped back as Sayu turned away and waved her Salatu into their dinghies. They all rowed out to the Ali's vessel. She watched the smaller boats flock to its side, like chicks to their mother. Then the broad triangular sails caught the sharp morning wind. The forest of oars splashed down and churned, and it surged away, a rapidly shrinking silhouette against the risen sun. That was Salatu by Lisa Short. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.